Players gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Baleful Strix, Hidetsugu consumes all, Expressive Iteration, and many others. Battling head-to-head -head in brutal combat, they all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy and the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by Boshmerl on YouTube, Thraven University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Tales of Adventure. Get sweet legacy staples and much more at ToaMagic.com. Hello, and welcome to episode 71 of the Eternal Glory Podcast. Let's get physical. Physical! I'm Thraven Yu, joined by Bosch and Roll and the Epic Storm. Can we just call Brian to the Epic Storm forever? Yeah, he's the, he's the whole Epic Storm. So you guys might not remember this, but this was maybe five years ago. Somebody on Reddit made a thread of magic names to know and their nicknames. And in there... And our editor, Force of Phil, finds this super funny. Uh, they referred to me as my nickname being The Whirlwind. And now Phil just like goes around introducing me to people as The Whirlwind. Uh, I've never been called that in my entire life, but this person on Reddit decided that was my nickname. And now our editor thinks that it's the greatest thing he's ever heard. That's pretty funny, and I'm glad I know that. Yeah, this is awesome. Like, this is why I record the podcast. Yeah, to learn these things. In my high school yearbook, I put my nickname as Bosch because uh, I've had the Bosch and Roll screen in all the way through high school. And there were a group of people who knew me as Bosch from that. And I think one of my friends was on the yearbook committee and thought it would be funny to turn Bosch into Boston Beatdown. Then somebody else further down the pipeline, some uh, editor or faculty was like, we can't have the word Beatdown in our yearbook. So my nickname forever in my senior yearbook is Boston, which is nothing. That's not even a thing. So yeah, really <laughs> stoked about that. Now, all I'm saying here is if you enjoy these anecdotes, we've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for the week available in our Patreon exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternal glory to gain access. Speaking of Patreon, shout out to the new patrons since last episode. We've got Matthew Wancho, Anthony Everett Cardshagger. I hope that's your real name, Cardshagger. Uh, feature Max Ansbro is in the Patreon now. What's up, Max? Justin, Dustin, Andrew, Evan, and Bob. Uh, shout out to Evan, who is a companion level patron, who also just bashed me out of a tournament yesterday, or two days ago at the time of recording. So uh, I guess I'm getting paid somewhere, even though extracted the, the money from me in the tournament scene. What's up, Evan? All right. Uh, and for our Patreon folks, uh, please remember to check that every once in a while. Uh, we are actually going to be recording another episode of this podcast almost immediately after recording this one. So we're always looking for Patreon-selected topics. So check that out. So we've got two topics for tonight. Uh, we're going to take a look at some paper magic results um, from SCGCon Pittsburgh. And then we're going to, like, talk about just, like, physically attending a tournament and some of the things that you can be thinking about to be better prepared for the tournament. 
and to make your experience better. Because the first time you play in a large paper tournament, like, it, it can be rough to do 15 rounds. Or, you know, six rounds with cut to top eight. You know, wh whatever it is that you end up doing any given weekend. A full day of magic is hard work, and though our podcast probably appeals to people who have been playing the game a little longer, there is an entire generation of folks who picked up Arena during COVID and have actually never played Paper Magic, or at least not for a full day like this, and we want to give you some tips. All right, but why don't we go ahead and start with some results. Um, so we have two Legacy 5Ks from SCGCon Pittsburgh, and... Uh, there's actually a pretty wonderful story. I got to tell this. I got to tell the story. So the first 5K was run Friday. And it, the finals were Michael Mapson at Expedition Map. Check out him and his podcast and his content. He rules versus Kevin Brenneman, who is a legacy pit person in the finals of the Friday one. The venue closed and they spent the next two days just talking shit on Twitter back and forth about how bad each one was going to beat the other. Uh, the solution to the venue closing was literally just like, you guys play it out when you get a chance. And they agreed to finish first thing Sunday morning. So they spent uh, Friday night through Saturday up to Sunday morning just talking shit back and forth on Twitter about how bad they were going to bash each other. Well, Michael Mapson ended up winning. And then minutes after winning that tournament, Rodney Bedell, who is a grinder, a younger person coming up, who I've seen around a lot, who's beat me in some legacy tournaments, was couldn't find his Delver sideboard. I think that's what was going on. He was like trying to scramble to get his Delver sideboard together. And Mapson was like, you could just play my deck and handed him the physical 75 that he just won the 5k with. And the winner of the Sunday 5k was Rodney Bedell with Michael Mapson's physical 75 that had just won the other 5k moments before. Those cards are hot as the sun. That is such a good story. That is one of those, like, ten years down the line, you will remember that, like, epic level story. I love it so much. Why don't we, why don't we start by talking about this deck? Um, it's, it's essentially the green-white depths deck that has been running around, although technically uh, it, it is Naya. There's a couple of blasts in the sideboard. Because as you've probably gathered from other episodes of our podcast, like Pyroblast and Red Elemental Blast are pretty hot right now in Legacy. Yeah, those are good cards worth splashing for. Um, even like Yorian Taxes is splashing red right now. They gave up on Urza Saga, which is an insane engine, obviously. In all formats, it's legal to play Red Blast and Magus of the Moon. So, like, that's, that's how good Pyroblast is right now. If you're interested in hearing more about how good Pyroblast is in Legacy... Our last episode was called Legacy on Blast, where we broke down this whole thing, if you didn't listen to that one yet. All right, so just running through the deck in case you're not familiar with it, uh, we've got like Elvish Reclaimers and Knight of the Reliquaries as the backbone of the deck, and we have a bunch of tutors like Crop Rotation and Green Sun Zenith in order to find our creatures and use them to assemble the Dark Depths combo. So like, why do you want to be Merit Lodging? right now just like in terms of where the format's at like why why might this be an attractive deck for someone i've noticed this and i almost tweeted it the other day but i decided to hold myself back because i didn't have all the data up front but at least playing the sunday challenges the dedicated control decks of legacy have been on the downswing and the goldfish numbers back that but goldfish isn't always reliable 
So I'm talking about the pure like Jeskai or Bant decks. They've just been a little bit on the downswing and Delver's been continuing to rise. So with the decline of Swords of the Plowshares, I think putting a giant 2020 Indestructible into play that Lightning Bolt isn't very good against is very appealing. Right. Merit Lage has historically been really great against Delver. It's You can't kill it. Uh, the only thing you can do is bounce it. Delver, in the past, might have a submerge in the sideboard. We've seen Rug Delver in the past with like a little crop rotation package where they play two crop rotation, one Caracas, one Bajuka Bog. And that's out of respect for partially Merit Lage. And now it's Brazen Borrower. That's the, the hot one that Delver can play to answer Merit Lage with. And lists have between zero and two of that card in them. Uh, so there's not a lot of outs to this thing. And your Delver opponent basically has to hold up Wasteland at all points for the whole game to make sure they don't get Merit Laged. And that can be rough on a deck like Green Black Turbo Depths that a Wasteland can actually slow them down a lot. But if you just hold up Wasteland for the whole game against Green White Depths, they have Elvish Reclaimer. That's a one mana 3-4 that races Delver. Uh, they have Endurance in the main deck. They have Knight of the Reliquary. That thing's a 6-6 six, six before you know it, and then you're dead. Ramanev Excavator. Like, and they're also a Swords of Plowshares Prismatic Ending deck. Like, You can't treat it like a combo deck, but you also can't afford not to when you're in the Delver seat. It's a really tough squeeze on that deck. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk some actual numbers here. So I have a whole bunch of Delver deck lists uh, pulled up. Uh, Brady Monroe's deck list has two submerge in the sideboard to answer it. Uh, Brian's deck list has two Brazen Borrower main, one submerge sideboard. Um, Scarlet's deck list has two submerge, one Brazen Borrower, and Benjamin's has one Brazen Borrower, one submerge. So, like, there's two-ish cards on average in the 75 to answer an actual factual merit lodge. Now, Delver sees a lot of its deck. A lot of its deck in a given game. Like, probably 30 or more cards. Uh, but two's, two's not a lot when you have a one-turn window to not be dead. Over the week, I was playing some Legacy, as one does, and I got paired against this Selesnya Depths deck. Early on in the game, they played a Sajiri Step and then sacrificed it later. I cast Chain of Vapor, and my opponent in the chat was just like, you are so bad at magic. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, like, Tell me something else I don't know. And they then wanted to explain that they boarded up the second Sejiri step. And I was like, wait, what? I've never realized this. Maybe you two powerful wizards knew. This Lesnia Depths deck plays two main deck copy of Sejiri step. Yep, I did know that. I always thought that card was always a singleton. Never even thought twice about them playing more than two. Just completely blew my mind. So if you're facing it, this deck... It used to be a singleton. Yeah. yeah, two's been stock for a while. And the I think in addition to just like, it's much better in your deck than it is in your hand. So it helps the non-brainstorm deck when it accidentally draws its Sejiri step. So your eight crop rotation effects are still alive. I guess it's actually 12 with Knight of the Reliquary. So your 12 crop rotations are still alive. But in addition to that, it's just not a dead card. Your deck has white cards in it. You can tap... Sejiri step to cast Swords of Plowshares or Knight of the Reliquary, and it's fine. So it's not like Green Black Depths, where it's just like this tool that sometimes you're stuck with in your hand. Like it's actually just kind of a shitty planes, but also a dope combo enabler, and they can afford to play too. So I guess my uh, my lesson here is don't get blown out by the second one if you're facing the Celestia Depths deck. Right. Yep. So your opponent, let me just check. 
they explained to you how bad at magic you are, but they had boarded out the Sajiri step. Correct. They boarded out the second one. They left one in their deck. Okay, so you won the game I with did. your Chain of Vapor. Yep. All right, well, get fucked, opponent. <laughs> <laughs> Leveled. Just to talk about Knight of the Reliquary for a minute. Um, I know uh, Maverick, Ma- blah, blah. Maverick expert Dugs on Twitch recently wrote a little article, and I think maybe published a league too, um, saying that like Knight of the Reliquary was maybe not the future for Maverick, and there was going to be a shift towards just playing more copies of things like Endurance in in the main deck. Um, but like Maverick is a different enough deck from this Celestia Depths deck, where like. The evaluation of Knight of the Reliquary there versus here is a little different. Yeah, so I, I did read a little bit of the Dukes article. And by the way, Dukes on Twitch is one of my favorite content creators. Uh, I talk with Dukes somewhat frequently. Terrific person, better content creator, all that good stuff, whatever. Uh, I said that in the wrong order, but you know what I mean. And I think Dukes hit something that I really agree with in the article, which is you don't want to be the deck trying to also do what other decks do you kind of just want to do what your deck does best and maximize that so uh the point here is duke's deck was saying that it was getting more into the selesnia depth stack area like you don't want to be bad death and taxes and you don't want to be bad selesnia depths you just want to be the best version of maverick you can be and it's tough because if you're a deck that's not doing as well you want to try to adapt some of the things from the winning strategies but you end up just muddying the waters too much so duke's was just saying hey I'm just going to try to do what Maverick does. And I think reevaluating some of those cards that people haven't really thought about in over a decade, like Knight of the Reliquary is pretty helpful because like, I'm sure the two of you remember this, but when Maverick in its height was running like a maze of Vith and all these other cool singleton lands. And I don't know if that's really what the smaller creature deck wants to be doing anymore. I will tell you that I have played a lot of bad Knight of the Reliquary decks on my channel. That's a thing that happens a lot, and I usually get these donations that have, like, seven different singleton Knight of the Reliquary targets, and the first thing I usually do with those decks is cut about four of them. You want to make sure your your mana is good in these Knight of the Reliquary decks, because, like, you need to hit your mana dork on one, and you need to be able to cast, like, multiple different combinations of pips on turn two. And every time you add in a Maze of Ith and Urza's Saga, like a Gaia's Cradle or whatever, like you're already a deck that's running at minimum four colorless lands in the form of Wasteland. Y- you can only afford so much. Brian, as a fellow boomer, I'm sure you uh, remember this. When I was a young child, people used to back their magic decks with other cards. Do you remember this? Yeah, that was a the thing. They'd use clear sleeves and then have a different card face facing up. Exactly. Yeah. So there was a guy in my area that used to back all of his decks. I mean, all of them with Maze of Ith because Maze of Ith was like this meme card that was worth like 75 cents to a dollar. During the pinnacle of Maverick, this guy goes, I think I'm going to retire. I own like 400 copies of Maze of Ith. And at the time they were 50, 60, 70 bucks, somewhere in there. Yeah, uh, that's definitely a sweet story. Um, I think the coolest version of that is somebody... I saw somebody, I don't remember if it was in real life or on the internet, but they had backed their EDH zombie deck with beta uh, scathe zombies. This three mana 2-2. Two, two, all betas, just a hundred of them on the back of the sleeves. Gorgeous. That person could probably retire now too. Just every alpha and beta card is, is worth more than you want it to be. I want to talk about another deck from this tournament though. Let's. All right, which, which one are you looking at? I am looking at the one that eliminated me 
from the top eight of the Sunday one and ended up in second place. This is Evan Graveno's Grixis Control. The top eight was open decklist, but decklists weren't ready. So the judges were just like, hand each other your decks <laughs> and take a gander. And as Evan handed me the deck, he was like, yeah, you might recognize this one a little bit. And it is basically just a beautiful amalgamation of all the different iterations of Grixis that I've been working on on my channel. And I like a lot of these numbers. Two Hitetsugo consumes all. I've been moving in that direction for a long time. Consume should be a tool, not a plan. Like you don't just play four of this card and then fill in the blanks. Like this should be something that you draw to when it's good and you can burn some more away when it's bad. Two of those in the main deck with a third one in the sideboard. Two Ruination in the sideboard, not farting around with those lands matchups. One Koligon's Command. No Snapcaster Mage, uh, given respect to Heidetsuku Consumes All. One Hall Breacher with three Narset. And there is two copies of Fury. That is so sweet. I love yep. it. Two copies of Fury. And I don't know if I... I don't think I have played Fury on my channel in a Grixis shell. Until today, actually today at the time of recording, my release today was a Yorian Grixis 5-0. So just add 20 cards. I, I got to try everything I've been trying in Grixis lately in a single deck. But Fury is a seriously messed up magic card. And it picks off Planeswalkers, picks off creatures, and clocks, which is a problem that Grixis has always had, just actually winning the game. Yeah, Fury does, does it all. And I played Blue Red Delver versus Evan and... We got into those like late game dregs where uh, I could count his removal spells. I knew like he was out of sudden edicts and like there was two lightning bolts left and like this or that. And like the hand was thin. I'm like, okay, I could play this Murktide Regent, but if he answers it, then he doesn't have a threat. And it's just like, nope, Fury. I got both all the time. And you die so fast to that thing. Both of the games, uh, he two owed me and both games ended with an, a, a Fury sideways in the red zone. Card was so good. So you touched upon uh, a card in the deck, Sudden Edict, and I just want to focus on that for a quick second. Sudden Edict answers Murktide cleanly, uh, unlike Lightning Bolt, unlike Fatal Push. It also answers Merit Lodge, which is a card we were just talking about out of the Slesnia Depths deck. That said, the Depths deck does have all those little ground pounders we mentioned, Elvish Reclaimer, and I, I think they have a Dryad Arbor. I, I don't want to click back and check, yep, but I believe they yep. do. Uh, but it's kind of interesting that Evan, shout outs to Evan, by the way, supporter of the Epic Storm YouTube channel. I appreciate you. But with three main deck sudden edicts, plus all this other removal, fell to the Selesnia Depths deck. Yeah, uh, I didn't watch the finals. I was already at home kicking up my feet after a long weekend when they were playing. Uh, I watched on Twitter, but uh, it wasn't live. So I don't actually know how the match played out. Uh, but Sudden Edict, yeah, like you said, that card is kind of a necessary evil in the Grixis shell. The The big hole in the Grixis plan is Swords to Plowshares or Prismatic Ending. This White's removal is so much better than every other color. And you do kind of have to hope that your removal lines up correctly when you're playing Grixis. Like this Grixis deck has the two Fury, one Fatal Push, four Lightning Bolt, three Sudden Edict, one Kolagon's Command, two Hitetsugu Consumes All, and one Mystic Sanctuary to loop most of those things back again. And those cards between them can answer just about everything, but you do have to have them. Sometimes Sudden Edict just gets blanked by that Elvish Reclaimer looking up at the sky to the Merit Lage, or like 
like lightning bolt doesn't hit elvish reclaimer most of the time either so you got to find your fatal push before you can turn on sudden edict and i imagine that that game was probably lost by a quick merit lage backed by going wide around edict and that is a gap in the deck but that is the the puzzle that grixis players are trying to solve right now i i really like another puzzle that sudden edict solves so when you're playing against delver there's always this sub game of like can i play around the days right now and Sudden Edict allows you to not play that game. It allows you to cast like an on-curve removal spell without thinking about days. Uh, and and like sometimes not having to play that guessing game and not like having to commit to taking a turn off to play around days is just really useful. Force of Will as well, because is it Delver's play pattern against a lot of these decks is stick Tide Regent, back it by Force of Will, and just clap twice. And then the game is over. Like, that's the plan versus death in Texas. They have so many plows that, it, like, you don't cut force versus any deck anymore except the mirror when you're Izzet Delver because Murktide Regent backed by force is such a, a powerhouse. And Edict just, whether it's on curve on turn two, ignoring days or shrugging off force of will at, on any turn is so huge. And I've played enough Grixis to have seen it a few times where sometimes your opponent reanimates Grizzlebrand and then passes priority and you're just nope no cards put it right back in the graveyard like unless your reanimator opponent was going to draw seven anyway or they are like wise to sudden edict a lot of people do just put grizzlebrand in and like all right pass the turn i'll draw cards if i need them and then... yeah the the number of disgusting things you can accidentally do when sudden edict in, is in your deck is insane yeah like oh i'm go i'm going to uh you know protect this creature with my flicker wisp off of vial no like you, you, you get to stop a lot of stuff. Yeah, split second is a pretty messed up mechanic for sure. I also love the two copies of Ruination in the sideboard. That card says, "I've come here with a plan, and I am not messing around." For those of you unaware, Ruination is a four mana red sorcery. Destroy all non basic lands. Yeah, Ruination has resurfaced. Ruination and From the Ashes are like old legacy tech from ancient times, and they're back because of Beseju. Beseju has largely, not really invalidated, but made Blood Moon and Back to Basics into liabilities. And now we see people splitting the difference and playing either Ruination or Price of Progress for those matchups. And I'm excited about it. Like, I, I love a Back to Basics, but I hate a Blood Moon, and it's cool that Ruination's back. And that's that's why you don't see Four Color Control anymore. Like, I was big on Dark Band. I know Honorog's on his uh, four-color everything but black. And, I mean, he's going to keep jamming that deck no matter what. But Price of Progress and Ruination both just KO those decks. And you're getting the splash damage from 8 Mulch and Lands and the decks that are built to beat Delver. The decks that can afford to play Basics are just ruining and popping you now. And, yeah, there, there's a lot of... A lot to say about the metagame when you see a card like Ruination as a two-of in many sideboards. One thing, though, there were two different four-color control lists in the top eight for the weekend, right? So Kevin Brenneman's deck has uh, Bant in the main deck, Red in the sideboard, and then Patrick Green's has uh, everything but Black in the main deck as well. Right, so there like, were two it, on Friday. Around. Yeah. It's around. People are going to play it. Uh, but I think the metagame at large, like 
if it were genuinely a good choice, I would be playing Dark Band. I just love the play style. I love the power level. Uh, all of that I love. I just don't think it's really viable right now with the splash damage you're getting from other stuff. I'm just imagining like Brian telling his child that they're ugly. Like, you're not good enough to be my child. Yeah, I- I'm going to go bring your slightly older, sleeker, better looking cousin in for the weekend. I need a top eight here, buddy. You know I love you, but <laughs> yeah, that's exactly how it feels. Yeah, and uh, deck specialists out there, like, have a backup deck in your pocket. Uh, it feels good sometimes. Yep. And the last deck, I don't want to talk about this a whole lot, but I want to point out that Mono Red Prison made top four of one of these 5Ks, and that's a deck I'm running into a lot on Magic Online right now. And if you think back, because time is always a flat circle, number of years ago, the best deck was Grixis Delver. The solution to Grixis Delver was Red Green Lands, and the thing that just came out of left field smashing both of them was Red Prison. And right now, the metagame is, is it Delver? versus red green lands and here comes red prison sliding back in from the side once again uh obviously blue red delver is less susceptible to blood moon than grixis delver was but it's that same jam on you till you run out of answers game plan still good against lands and red prison is experiencing a renaissance right now and for the audio listeners who aren't like looking at deck lists or anything while they do this um the the red prison air quotes, uh, deck list right now is actually really aggressive. So the version that is popular right now has like Rabble Masters and War Bosses, uh, Furies to kind of help them punch through. Um, some of them are playing Fireflux Squad. Some of them are opting for the Chandra Torch of Defiance instead. There's not like a super solidified like this is the 75 right now or anything, but General consensus is be more aggressive. Yeah, expect Bone Crusher Giant and Fury out of these decks. They have a lot more removal than they used to. I'm sure it's not something that matters to most players, but I've noticed it personally playing, which is sometimes these prison decks mulligan very aggressively, and at least in the combo matchups, they bottom the creatures and keep the prison pieces. So from the Epic Storm perspective, when these games happen, I go, okay, well, there's no Rabble Master yet. I'm going to get a couple turns. That's changed recently due to Den of the Bugbear, because not only is it the red mana to help cast their Trinisphere Chalice, it's then attacking me for four and then five, or, or I guess it'd be four, six, eight, whatever the numbers are. But I die quickly to Den of the Bugbear more recently than that deck has been killing me when it doesn't have exactly Rabble Master. I had a game recently on on stream where I was like, I think it was my Grixis League where I was like, oh no, I'm going to die to this den of the bugbear. I got nothing. And then they blood mooned and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> and I would have died so fast to the den of the bugbear, but the blood moon just brought the game to a crawl. And I was like, all right, I can exist in this world. But yeah, that creature land is pretty significant. And uh, I need to look at the name of this one. There's also Sokenzan Crucible of Defiance, uh, which is the red channel land. You can dis- you can pay four mana and discard it to make two one one colorless spirit tokens and they gain haste until end of turn. So like that's something that people have been messing around with. I haven't been super impressed by that land when it's been on the other side of the battlefield, but like sixth place in a five K scoreboard. Yeah, it's not nothing. It's the back half of season Pyromancer, and that card sees a lot of play in modern. Are we ready to move on though and talk about how to play in paper tournaments? 
We just talked about paper tournaments for half an hour. The reason we're including this section is is kind of twofold. So number one, like many of our listeners might not have played in big magic tournaments because of the pandemic, like literally at all. If like you were kind of casually getting into magic and you got serious on magic online or arena over the last two or three years, like you might not have big tournaments under your belt. And number two, there are a lot of players who like play tournaments, but like haven't given real thought into like physically how to prepare yourself for the event because all the time goes into thinking about like that 15th card in your sideboard or like how are you going to sideboard for that matchup but you're not thinking about like what goes into your backpack or how you mentally or physically prepare yourself for the day so us uh us old magic boomers we're gonna we're gonna try to drop bring deodorant do it step one yeah i mean there's that for sure uh hygiene is important but step two, and I decided this probably 2016, I said I was late to an event and I was like, and I was scrambling to write down my deck list and I was writing it down. I'm like, oh, I hate this so much. And I decided right then and there, I will never write another paper deck list in my life. Uh, I'm just never going to do it. So since 2016, I've always come prepared with a printed deck list. That's step two, at least in my book, but Print out your deck list early, submit it online, which is definitely something you can do more now with things like MTG Melee and other things, but print out your deck list. I'm sure Phil and Brian will also back this, but it's such a huge initial step. Yeah, major tournaments right now, having played in a bunch of them, they're all being run through MTG Melee because the companion app is unusable for an event larger than FNM, and those are the two choices. The only wizard-supported software right now sucks. So they go through MTG Melee for big events, and those, that uh, software or website, whatever it's called, that app, it handles registration and all of the logistics. Like your pairings come through there, and you submit your deck list on there. It's all self-contained. So being familiar with MTG Melee and how that works is going to help you out. And my pro tip is that Getting your pairings on mobile is fine, but you really don't want to enter a deck list on your phone if you don't have to. Like if you can, just blast that in in a browser on an actual computer before you leave home. You're going to have a better time than trying to uh, navigate your phone screen to submit the 75 cards morning of or in the car on the way there. One thing that I've done is just export my Magic Online deck list and import it into MTG Melee. That way you know it's correct too, so just throwing that out there. Although I would caution everyone, if you have split cards, double check that shit. Split cards tend to do weird things when going from one service to another. Like, that is my number one thing that I have issues with in importing or exporting deck lists. I think, uh, fun little antidote here, but a Syracuse local was playing at Grand Prix Louisville. And it's like round 13, they're X1, they're paired against Craig Wesco on Death and Taxes, and they're up a game playing the Grixis Delver deck. They get deck checked after game one. They come back. Both decks are fine. They're in the middle of game two. And they go, oh, we now found an issue with your deck list. You registered three days and then two days. It was supposed to be three days, two counterspell or like three days, two spell pier, something like that. So they gave this person from Syracuse a game loss in the middle of game two. And then they had to just start game three. Also weird ruling, by the way. But... They just had to start game three and the person from Syracuse mulliganed to five and Craig Wesco just steamrolled them. 
there's so many things wrong with uh, this entire interaction, but I just remember thinking like, yeah, that's why you always print out your deck list early and look at it. Yeah, and check your deck list. Like, I know a lot of people uh, think it is like a flex to just write your deck list from memory, and a lot of you can get away with that. And I don't like doing that. Uh, I actually don't like exporting a file either. Like, that is clean and it's shortcut, but I actually enjoy the physical experience of sorting my deck and then going through and like, handling and acknowledging physically each card that's in it as I write down the deck list. And then I check the deck list against the deck that's in my actual hands and count to 60, count to 15, make sure everything is there. This is the easiest game loss you'll ever, you'll ever avoid. It just don't get a deck reg error. It's, it's definitely amateur shit. It's completely avoidable, but it's also very easy to mess up. Oddly enough, both of the losses I've ever had in my life for deck registers were both in limited. I believe that. Forgetting to register lands in one and then accidentally registering 41 in another. Womp womp. So we already touched this a little bit with MTG Melee, but pre-register for the tournament. And like most tournaments don't even have on-site entry anymore. Uh, one of my friends drove up to Grand Prix Niagara Falls a couple years ago. Just overnight drove from Boston got to the site two hours early, uh, couldn't find the registration line, and was sorried at the door. Just, this was a pre-reg only event. And most main events are like that. You can walk in and find a draft or like these 5Ks at SCGCon this past weekend were uh, fire when ready, but the, the main event of any tournament, assume that it is online registration only, because uh, I'm old enough to remember showing up at a Grand Prix that's supposed to start at 10 a.m. And the line is out the door and around the block at 9.55. At that point, the TO has to just work through the line and the GP starts late. And this is old. This is probably like five plus years old at this point that major premiere events do not have on-site registration day of. So make sure you pre-register for it. And bonus, do it as soon as you know that you're going to the tournament. Do it before you book accommodations and travel to the tournament. There's also lots of stories about people booking their flight and hotel and just figuring they can register whenever they feel like it for the event. Then the event sells out after they've already bought a flight and hotel. These things do cap. There are player limits. Don't get caught in that. Uh, there's there's really no one to blame but yourself. Avoidable error. Do it and do it early. Especially in like pandemic times of like, event caps being like both common and real like really don't mess around with that right all right um in in terms of planning like i i know people like work jobs and like sometimes you have to like get home from work on friday like eat dinner and then just like book it and then like go and drive five or six hours to get to your event but like when you can try to leave yourself enough time so that like you can physically be in decent shape to play in that event. If you can get to town early, if you can get to the venue early, like do those things so that like you're not stressing out at the last minute. Yeah, there's different versions of this. There is like Phil said, you get home from work around four or five, then you drive five hours, you get into town like 10, 30, 11. And that's still enough time to get to sleep. 
as long as you get to sleep, make good decisions with your time. Because I've been there. I've been there a hundred times. Like you get into town and it's like, well, it's 1030. We're all hungry. Fogo? <laughs> like some ridiculous meal experience. Like you're hanging out with your friends. You're on this like degen gamer trip. You go to some fancy restaurant. You eat too much. It's a five course meal. You're out of there at 1230 in the morning. And then you go back to the hotel room and then your roommates want to start talking about their sideboard choices and making their final deck selections. And you're not actually like putting your head on the pillow till 2 a.m. I've never and experienced you had this a ch- before. You're lying. And <laughs> yeah. And like have those conversations in the car. I mean, uh, pre-registering online your deck list helps cut these conversations down because your deck's already submitted. Um, but don't you really want to keep an eye on your your time management and i have definitely said to roommates like in the past five years like in my early 20s i was definitely like yeah whatever let's test until 3 a.m uh this 15th sideboard card is definitely more important than a good night's sleep but these days i'm like i'm going to bed bye like it's time for bed i'm turning off my light please keep it down (laughs) don't be afraid to to put up the wall because that shit is important. Kind of goes into my uh, my next point here is pick your travel companions for the weekend wisely. Your hotel mates don't stay with at Force of Fell so he can talk about thwart until two in the morning. Don't stay with at Force of Fell so he can talk about thwart until two in the morning. Just don't do it. Pick trusty, reliable hotel mates that will go to bed before 2 a.m. Sometimes not everyone is blessed with a plethora of travel options, but you you can at least have a conversation about like, it's a six hour drive. I want to be on the road by 3 p.m. Like if you aren't getting out of work until 7.30, like this car is just not going to work for you. I'm sorry. Like, can you pick up a shift earlier in the week? Can you use some PTO time? Like we, I'm not arriving at 2 a.m. Period. Setting expectations for your car helps a lot. My travel companions, uh, Chris Stagno, is known for being making degenerate choices. Uh, he always wants to sit down and eat for every meal. Like I'm like a, let's just grab something at Cheats and keep driving. And Chris is like, a, no, I want to go to Bob Evans for an hour. And just make sure you know who you're traveling with. And like when we're on a four hour drive, I don't mind sitting at Bob Evans for an hour. When we're on a six hour drive, I need that hour. So uh have those conversations before they become a fight when you're on the trip. And in terms of planning your logistics, if you have the time, take 10 minutes and walk around the area around the venue or spend a few minutes Googling. Figure out where you're going to get food during the tournament. Because let me tell you, as like one of the death and taxes guys, my rounds frequently go to time or close to it. Like I'm I need to know where I'm getting food. So that when I just like play two Thalias and kill Bryant in 10 minutes, I can go make it to X restaurant or whatever, get my food, come back and eat. Because like sometimes you don't get to pick the round when you eat your lunch. So like if you can have a plan or if you're part of a larger team, like and you have a buddy who's going to like be good to grab you subway or whatever in between rounds so you can just throw in your bag and eat whenever like that's super valuable too. Yep, having a team runner is is big. Uh if you die early, if you O2 drop, make the offer to your friends, uh, they will return it in kind in the future. That's what having friends are for. If you have the epic storm, the whirlwind himself, Bryant Cook in your car, 
he's going to be done early. Let him know, like, just standing order. If you make a food run, get me anything. Also, make sure you have some sort of release valve. If you're in that, like, four-color control death and taxes going to time every round world, at any time, I usually have a water bottle, some sort of caffeinated beverage, and somewhere between 3 and 20 granola bars in my bag um, amongst my magic cards. Like, that's what's going on in there. Prioritize the first granola bar over the first EDH deck when you're budgeting space for what you're going to carry at an event. Uh, you won't really need that trade binder. You can do that day two or whatever. You're going to need food every single day. Before our group had our friend Devin Riley, and before Devin was blessed with children, we called Devin Snack Dad because Devin would show up with enough snacks for the entire crew, and we all loved Devin for doing so. So if you can find someone that is half as cool as Devin to bring you dried mangoes and granola bars and whatever, you're incredibly lucky, but you should really account for yourself and pack that stuff on your own. Yeah, Steve Rubin was a great team dad uh, back in the day. He made sure that if he wasn't the team dad, someone was relegated to that task yeah and like kind of on that note like how many times have you heard of a magic player getting like a headache around like round seven of a big event or something like that just tag me next time phil jesus <laughs> this is just like very frequently because people just aren't like physically taking care of themselves like drink your water refill it every round if you have to Use use the bathroom. You don't know when you're going to go to time in a round. Like, I, I have a routine where, like, I finish a round, I turn in my match slip, I go to the bathroom, I refill my water bottle, and then and only then will I start, like, talking with my friends or doing whatever else I am going to do. But, like, taking care of me physically comes first. And the same goes for any other, like, kind of tournament you're playing. The Super Smash Brothers scene was really bad about this, because, like, I would see people, like, coming in with, like, no food, no water, and then just, like, game for seven hours. And it's like, come on, come on, take care of yourself. You will play so much better, I swear. Yeah, and that's the the real rub here. Like, we just sound like a bunch of dads being like, you gotta take care of yourself, kid. But that's, it. You, it's because you will play better, like... We're not telling you this necessarily because we care about your day-to-day -day health, which, I mean, I hope is good out there, listener. Like, take care of yourself. I do care about that, too. But on a real practical tournament level, you will play better if your stomach isn't grumbling. You will play better if your head isn't throbbing. All of those things matter. Uh, if you're not, like, fighting your eyes to stay open, you will play better. My backpack comes with a detachable side pouch, and I had a player a couple of years ago before the pandemic make fun of me. They were having a headache, and I went, oh, I have some aspirin in my back. I have aspirin, ibuprofen, and I, you know, took off the side pouch and zipped it on, undo, give it them to, I can't talk anymore, uh, the Tylenol. And they go, oh, I really like your purse. And I was like, well, this purse just gave you Tylenol. Don't make fun of my side pouch or whatever. Wow. Imagine being a douche when somebody just was more prepared than you. Like, <laughs> nerd. Exactly. Also, purses are sweet. Whatever. Uh, but like sometimes you're going to have that headache. If you can, you know, even put in a couple ibuprofen for back pain or Tylenol for headaches, uh, I've talked about this on the podcast, but like my vision sometimes just goes two weeks ago on the podcast. My contacts went bananas. I keep a spare pair of glasses in my magic bag too. just be prepared. Yeah, I have a little first aid kit. I bought it at a army surplus store. I just have like a couple of band-aids, some alcohol wipes, the Tylenol ibuprofen you mentioned. I think I even have like 
a Dayquil and NyQuil capsule in there in case I catch a little sniffle over the weekend. Like it will pay out eventually. Like sometimes you'll just have this little thing for no reason, but they make these little pouches that just like attach to the strap of any bag. Uh, like a an army surplus store will have them. Amazon, I'm sure you could find them. Like you pack it once and you're just good forever. So just if you're going to be on the move, be ready for that sort of stuff. So that's kind of the physical side. I think one of the big things in terms of like mental health for larger tournaments is like don't stay focused on the negatives for the whole day. If you are playing a shit ton of magic, like let's say you're playing 15 rounds in a weekend and every round is you just listening to like somebody else's bad beats stories just like all weekend repeatedly and you're wandering around a tournament hall and then like everyone is just coming up to you just like bad beats bad beats bad beats bad beats that is going to become exhausting and i recommend like figuring out like what are your personal limits for those sorts of things like what do you and do you not want to talk about like what is going to drag you down setting up that like personal space for yourself and figuring out like this is how i want to spend my time in between rounds it's super valuable yeah and and that comes into what we talked about about travel companions and the friends you keep and just general toxicity or supportiveness of the environment my friends and i don't tell bad beat stories to each other Uh, it's just not important to us we understand that magic is a game with variants and nobody wants to hear it i think i've mentioned this on the pod before but if one of us catches another in a bad beat story where it's like oh i just it was close and then i just drew six lands in a row we'll just like lean in and be like Did you consider drawing a spell instead? Did you consider drawing a spell instead? And just, you get roasted for a bad beat story. Nobody wants to hear it. Just, so what, now what? Next round's coming. And if you are in a bad mental place and you want to vent a little, that's fine too. Just had a tough last round, uh, not feeling great about it. Like, oh, sorry to hear that. But nobody needs to hear, like, the excruciating details of drawing the fourth land in a row or whatever, like, just, just I, I personally love the ones that are like, all right, these are the seven cards in my hand. This is the draw step. This is what my opponent and they like are trying to paint you a word picture and you're like, no one cares. Oh, oh shit. It wasn't a it wasn't a grim lava mancer. It was something else. Uh, it was an is it Staticaster? And then like, I can't follow this story. You've changed too many things. Yeah. When I ask someone like, how's it going? Or like, did you win? Uh, and I see like an eye roll, a deep sigh, and then they like take a deep breath. And I'm like, fuck. I shouldn't have asked. I've actually stopped my friends before. I'm just like, I'm like, hold up. I see you're taking a big breath. I asked you a yes or no question. That's all I want to know. But now I know the answer because you took the deep breath. And then they're like, okay. One thing that I'll do in between rounds is I will go outside far away from the smokers. I will find an exit or something that isn't near the smoking door. And I'll just go outside for a few minutes and take a few deep breaths after a loss just to like clear my head a little bit. Uh, It's not to like be salty or anything. It's just like sometimes you have to remove yourself from the situation mentally and then come back, you know, just go, all right, it's behind me now. I'm going to play better this upcoming round and just look at, keep your focus. Don't dwell on any past mistakes or losses. Just play the best you can in the next round. And I think one thing that really helps with that, at least for me, it might be different for you, but I don't play games in between rounds. Like I see sometimes people play poker or games of EDH or whatever, I just want to relax my brain a little bit so that way I'm not mentally taxed at the end of the day. Yeah, there's two halves of that. There's the uh, people who want to stay sharp by playing poker or, fuck it, play magic between rounds. I am not one of those people. I might be playing, like, puzzle quests, like something mostly brainless, but I'm still, like, my brain isn't turning off. Uh, I used to play a lot of Hearthstone between rounds, but I haven't played Hearthstone in, like, a year. But uh, there are, like, some things... 
it, you got to figure out what works for you there. I'm not going to tell you what's the correct play between rounds, but I like to definitely not play magic. And I try not to play anything that's really going to drain my brain, but I do like to keep my brain busy with something. So the sweet spot there is like, just like Puzzle Quest or like Angry Birds or something low effort. I, I did a lot of Pokemon Go in between rounds. Like, it's keeping me mentally active. I'm not going to just like fall asleep or anything, but it's not, it's not like, oh, uh, in between rounds? Yeah, let's let's squeeze in a death and taxes mirror. Yeah, fuck that. Let's try to fire a an EDH game. You know what's not going to happen in 20 minutes? An EDH game. And you know what happens when they call the round when you're like in the middle of a four-person EDH game? You get stressed out. You have to clean up all your shit real quick. Now you're like running to the pairings board or like refreshing your phone, like balancing your playmat and your EDH deck in your arms. And like you're not organized. Like it's it just throws off your whole vibe starting from before the match even started like you don't want to sit down to a match breathless and stressed out one thing that i really enjoy and i mean maybe i'm a weirdo for this but like i like not thinking about magic so i'll see an acquaintance that i think is like probably a cool person or i find interesting and i'll just go up to them and talk about life uh one example is and i mean i only see this person like once every like four years but uh brian probably knows them as well kenny meyer uh, Kenny's probably best known for playing Battle of Wits on camera at Star City events in the early like 2010s, 2011s. But Kenny was the first person I ever saw wearing a Menzinger shirt at a Magic event. I was just like, that person's cool. I want to go talk to them about the Menzingers. And Kenny and I just became friends over music. So when I see Kenny, I get so excited to talk about music with Kenny. And uh, it doesn't have to be about Magic. You can go talk about a different interest, like, I don't know, StarCraft or whatever. But uh, it just helps to not always be on the Magic mode. I very much recommend not hauling around all your trade stuff with you while you are playing in a major event. Because, like, I, I definitely used to be the trading guy. Like, I would go to a Star City event with three-ish binders just, like, full of stuff in my backpack, and then, like, six decks in the main compartment or something like that. And, like, that is physically heavy, and that is going to take a toll on you over the course of a weekend. Like, you don't need that much stuff. Like, figure out what you're there for, focus on the thing that you're there for. Yeah, I remember my first Grand Prix that I went to. I had an actual like toolbox, like a metal purchased from Home Depot or Lowe's big, heavy black toolbox with about 14 decks in it and like tons of dice. And I had a trade binder backpack on my back. I probably had uh, 30 to 50 pounds of stuff. The toolbox was just awful because it was huge. And this was in like the mid 2000s, like trying to shove your way to a paper pairing board before smartphones. Like Patrick Chapin threw me an elbow at one point. Like <laughs> I, I remember that at my first GP where it's just like pushing towards the pairings board. And I just was three times occupying more space than any other person because all the shit I was carrying and Chapin just straight up elbowed me in the chest to get past me. <laughs> and I deserved it. You don't need all that stuff. It's impractical. Even recently, like in my old wasn't aged uh scg philly was my first major event out of town back post pandemic or since the pandemic started we are not post pandemic i brought edh decks i brought like one casual and one competitive edh deck i have this like big deck box that can hold two decks in it and i was like this will be compact i'll get some games in i got zero games in and i had to carry this thing the whole time it, there's just not time at a tournament to sit down and play edh 
Like put it in your luggage, have it in the hotel room or whatever, if that's going to be a plan for you and your friends later. But it's just not going to happen between rounds and you're better off without it. So a somewhat similar story is uh, a few years ago, 2017, uh, a large number of my friend group, we all went to uh, GP Birmingham. We went a week early to England to travel. We went up to Brussels and some other places, but I was like, we're going to have downtime, downtime at night. I'll bring a laptop with me. I turned on that laptop exactly once and it was for maybe 30 minutes. And meanwhile, I hauled this laptop across part of Europe with me for an entire week, just carrying this heavy laptop. And I was like, I will never do this ever again. So uh, same thing applies to magic. Don't carry extra stuff. And if you're traveling, reconsider that laptop or just throw it away. It's not worth it. Yeah. If you've ever seen Reed Duke at a tournament, he literally just shoves his deck box into his pocket and has nothing in his hands or on his back. It's like a, a like a pen and small life pad in one pocket and his deck in the other. And just walks around like like he's got not a care in the world. Like I want a playmat. I want dice. I want tokens. Like I want the practical objects to help. Uh, so I'm not quite ready to be that bohemian, but it can be done. Travel light is is the goal here i always get so nervous seeing the people just carrying the deck box in their hand throughout the event i'm like they're going to leave it somewhere and i get paranoid for them like it makes me anxious yeah well they'll know if their hand is empty we're gonna wrap this up pretty quick but uh make good food choices another one we haven't touched yet if you have a choice between like the chicken caesar salad or the soft pretzel covered in cheese maybe lean towards the salad just it's not like a fitness thing you're not going to change your level of fitness in a day it's just like bodies actually want a certain type of nutrients and some food provides it and some doesn't heavy carby meals are going to slow you down and make you tired that if you could get like a stir fry or something with some vegetables in it or a big greasy piece of pizza go for the stir fry like thinking of like what cut sort of foods you get quick subway is honestly bread and butter like maybe literally a subway if there's a subway within two blocks of a venue i'm good because they can feed you quickly cheaply and you could choose to put vegetables on your sandwich it's going to be a good time that's usually going to be your best bet compared to like the 14 dollar chicken tenders and fries from the convention center i i think the last thing i want to add please be cognizant of your stuff both in terms of the amount of physical space you are taking up and in terms of like making sure you're not leaving your four thousand dollar legacy deck unattended like when i am playing in an event if i have a backpack my backpack is looped around my leg while i am playing magic i do not want to be out a couple thousand dollars because like i was not paying attention to my stuff and like it's not even just all malicious stuff like i i saw a twitter post i don't remember who posted it but someone was like hey one of my opponents left three urza sagas and some other card like at my table like i have them contact me i'll get them back to you yeah and on another level of that don't leave your backpack with your friends and say hey watch this i'm gonna go to the bathroom just pick it up if you have so much stuff that you can't pick it up and take it with you to the bathroom or to the food line or wherever you're going then you have too much stuff your friends are not as invested in your stuff as you are and things happen or like, oh, I didn't realize you left that with me or, oh, I just looked away for a second. Tragedy could strike at any moment. Uh, there are crimes of opportunity and just accidents and all of them are avoidable with some vigilance. So uh, don't tap when you attack. And we're about to run a little long here, but I, I think one really important thing that I don't want to leave this episode without is just remember that your opponent is also a human being who also 
made travel plans, paid an entry fee, did the testing, did all the things that you did that make you invested in winning your matches. They did those same things. When they rip the thing that knocks you out of the tournament, when they hit their one out or whatever, my way that I uh, deal with that, like obviously it feels bad and it is okay to feel bad. It is not okay to be a dick. So the way that I mitigate that is I try to project their feelings onto me. Like how excited would I have been if I ripped the one outer in that spot? And I try to feel that joy for them rather than feel the despair. Like the the joy of hitting a five percenter versus the joy of being hit by a five percenter or the despair of being hit by a five percenter. You can flip that in your head and just like, yeah, that was a great jaw. Good game. And then walk outside and huff and puff and take your time. But like, you don't need to be a douche to the person across the table from you basically ever for any reason. That was worth going long. Good message, Brian. All right. Why don't we go ahead and call the uh, episode there, folks? Uh, Thanks for enjoying. And we'll be back again in two weeks. 